0: if you would turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We've been there for a few weeks now, and we're going to continue on. In fact, I'm not even going to read the whole verse. I'm just going to read the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And we're going to stop right there. Love, joy, and peace, because peace is where we're at today. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that already having visited with us in this service that You would now allow our hearts and our minds and our spirits to be attuned so that we can hear You through Your Word. As Your servant today, Lord, I have prepared myself. I feel like I have heard from You, and now I ask that You would allow the anointing of Your Holy Spirit to be upon the delivery of the bread of life so that You may nourish our souls with it, O God. May I say only what you want me to say, and then I ask that through your Holy Spirit you will draw people to what you desire of them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. In your bulletin on one of the flaps, there's an outline of the message this morning. And I will tell you, I will probably be working through this rather quickly, so I may not be as thorough as I had intended to be. In 1871, in the city of Chicago, we know that there was a fire that destroyed most of it. It It's known as the Great Chicago Fire. There were over 300 people that died, 100,000 people that were left homeless. And one of the heroes of the aftermath of that was a man by the name of Horatio Gates Spafford. He had owned quite a bit of property there, and most of what he owned was destroyed. Shortly after the fire, he faced the untimely death of his son. Despite the great financial and personal loss and the great sorrow that he was going through, he spent two years unselfishly helping people all around to assist in their needs because they were so grief-stricken by the fire. And his merciful and kind acts of his fellow people around him helped to strengthen his testimony as Mr. Spafford being a man that loved God and was known as a devout Christian. After two years of such work in November of 1873, he and his family decided that they needed to take a vacation and they were going to go see a dear friend by the name of Dwight L. Moody. They were going to meet him in an evangelistic campaign in England, and so they booked board on a ship, and just about as the family was aboard the ship, news came to him that he had an important... Decision that had to be made back in chicago and so he put his wife and four daughters on that ship and he ran back to chicago to finish this business before he joined them The ship which his wife and daughters were traveling on never reached england off the newfoundland coast the ship collided with an english sailing vessel and The ship sank rapidly and approximately within 20 minutes after it was struck sunk completely Mrs. Spafford was one of only 47 people to survive, and tragically, all four of their daughters were part of the 226, which perished in the aftermath. And Anna Spafford's heartbreaking telegram to her husband simply read two words, saved alone. Horatio immediately set sail to go and join his grieving wife. The ship that he was traveling on, as it passed the approximate location, one of the captains of the ship came and told him this is about where the action happened where your four daughters were lost and it's reported that in his deep sorrow mingled with his unwavering faith in god he stood there at the rail and began to put together a poem which we now recognize as a song and here's the words that he wrote when peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet and though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and he shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. And the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. This is a description of an individual that knows what it's like to tap into the peace, the fruit of the Spirit of peace, in a difficult time in his life. And today I would like to share with you some principles of this fruit. We've talked about it being the characteristics of Jesus Christ lived out through our life because of Jesus that lives within us. This morning I would like first of all to look at what does peace mean in the Scripture? What does peace mean in the scripture in our use of the word peace frequently means the secession or non-existence of hostility or peace is when you're not at odds with anyone or when you're not engaged in conflict or when you're not having a spat or an argument or peace for a country when you're not in a war. But this is an incomplete understanding of peace. We have seen people whose. Gravestones say rest in peace and the person that is resting has no peace or, or they have no conflict. They have no arguments. They have no spat. They have no war. But honestly, that's not the kind of peace that I'm ready to rest in just yet. I want a peace that comes to me now while I'm alive. I want a peace that's real to me in whatever situations of life I face. And the biblical notion of peace carries far more weight and is far more active and is far more dynamic than our understanding of the English word peace. In fact, both in Hebrew and Greek, as the word peace is used, it connotes a sense of well-being, a sense of wholeness and a sense of soundness that is not determined by your surroundings. In other words, it's something from within. A fascinating insight into the biblical meaning of the term in the Old Testament in Hebrew is known as shalom. Any of you ever heard that word? Shalom. The term that is used for peace. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 7, it was an interesting passage of Scripture here and an interesting use of the term shalom that does not show up in our English version of the Bible. In 2 Samuel eleven seven, 7, it says, When Uriah came home, David asked him how Joab was. How the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Now, if you take this verse from the Hebrew translation, this is the way it would sound. How is the shalom of Job? How is the shalom of the soldiers? How is the shalom of war? How is the peace of Joab? How is the peace of the soldiers? How is the peace of war? And you look at that and you're going, that makes absolutely no sense. How can you be asking soldiers and people in a war, how is the peace going in all of this? We wouldn't think to ask that. But the biblical writer and the biblical king in this situation would find no contradiction at all whatsoever in using the term peace in this particular verse. Therefore, David is asking, how is things going? Are, is all going well? Is everyone doing well in the circumstances of their life? Is there peace in the circumstances of their life? Are we achieving our purpose? Are we in harmony with our intentions? How is the peace of the soldiers and the peace of the war? Now we move now to Colossians chapter 3 verse 15 into the New Testament to see what peace looks like there. And the Greek word for peace in the New Testament is Irene, E-I-R-E-N-E, means peace. And in Colossians chapter three fifteen, let me turn to this. The scripture says to us, "Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are all called to peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts." The interesting thing about this particular aspect of the peace. And ruling is that the word rule in Greek could be translated as umpire, literal translation. In other words, when Christ lives within your life, the peace of God needs to be the umpire to every situation you face. It needs to be the umpire and whether you should pursue a job or pursue a relationship, or is that the house for us? That there, there is an accompanying peace that only God can give. How many of you that have walked with God know what that's like? You just have a peace in your heart about something. This peace is not to be misunderstood, nor is it to be taken lightly, because it's the fruit of the Spirit that God gives to us that said, this peace needs to be your umpire in life. There will be times when the Lord will lead you into things that may not look peaceful, but there's a peace in your heart because He's umpiring, He's leading you, He's guiding you, and He says, as long as that peace is with you, you're walking in my steps. If that peace leaves, or when you feel what I call a check in your spirit, is when you need to stop and begin to reevaluate, Lord, what are you doing? This is the fruit of the Spirit, the shalom of the Lord that gives a peace in spite of everything. And the peace of God, which helps to umpire every situation of our life. Knowing the biblical understanding of peace helps keep away from the notion that peace can be gotten if we just rearrange the circumstances of our life. Boy, if I could just change my job, or if I could just change the group of people I'm with, or if I could just change my spouse, or if I could just change the size of my bank account, I'd have peace and everything would be fine. That has nothing whatsoever to do with the peace of God. What Paul says when he writes to the Philippians from a prison experience, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, that's a verse that we don't particularly like to put on the refrigerator. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances of my life. I've learned to be in shalom. I have learned to have soundness. I've learned to have completeness completeness in the matter or the circumstances I've been in. The road to peace, first of all, comes with the understanding of what the Bible means when we talk about peace. Secondly, grace must always come before peace. I did a little research this week and I discovered that of the 13 letters that Paul wrote, every one of those letters starts somewhere with these words. In the first paragraph, as he begins the greeting, it always says, Grace to you and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In a couple of the letters, he inserts the word mercy between grace. So it may say grace, mercy, and peace, but it always starts with grace to you and peace. Grace always comes first. I want you to know the intent this morning is not only for Christians to be able to grab hold of what it means to have the fruit of peace, but for those of you that may be non-Christians, maybe you're here today and you have never yet Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life and to cleanse you of your sin and to give you the sense of well-being in your soul. If you don't have that today, then you are in the right place. But it will be impossible for you to have the fruit of the Spirit of peace in your life until you have experienced first the grace of God in your life. Because they go hand in hand. You can't have the fruit of peace if you don't have the presence of Jesus in your life. So many people are trying to create peace in so many different ways. And the Lord says, I am the one who brings peace. Allow me into your life and then the fruit of my nature will grow and will create a peace in you, regardless of the circumstances of your life. In the cross of Jesus Christ, God has already paid for your sins. And when I come to God in repentance and faith, He receives me. And grace is the entry moment into the Christian's life. It's when we become Christians that we realize that salvation is a free gift. But grace is not something that we can ignore and expect to have the benefits of His presence. How many of you know people who only pray when they're in an emergency? Boy, I have people... They call time, oh, pastor, I need you to pray. I need God to do a miracle. They ignore God every other time in their life until they need a miracle, until they're in a situation. And then suddenly they come running to God like he's the magic genie and just ask everybody, just rub the box. And I need God to come out and just do what I need. Oh, pastor, can you have your church just rub the genie box for me? And the Lord says, I indwell... I indwell the hearts and lives in the temple of my people. And that his blessing and peace comes from the knowledge of having received him and understanding that God is graceful. Honestly, I have never been too impressed with my grip on God. It's a lifelong project. We're always growing in the Lord. But I am tremendously impressed with God's grip on me. I may not have the strongest grips at time in my life, but I've discovered that God's grip never slips. And maybe you felt that same way. Been a time in your life when there's no strength left, but God just won't let go. As long as you keep focusing your eyes on him. Thirdly, to gain peace, you have to resolve hostility. There's two kinds of hostility. One of them I call kind of a free-floating hostility or it's an anger in a generalized sense because all of us know people that it doesn't matter what's going on in their life, they're going to be angry anyway. There's some people that just have... I guess you can just describe it as a spirit of anger. They are just genuinely unhappy people. They don't make my closest friends list. In fact, they don't have very many friends. They are the type of people, and if... That when you see them, you never ask them how they're doing. Because you know you're never going to get out of there. Because you never have ever heard them in their life say, I am doing great! You would die flat out if they ever said that. You see them and you're going, oh, I can't just ignore them. They say, how are you doing today? Good. Well... I'm surviving. Don't run off. I'm not done yet. And there are those type of people just have a floating anger and hostility and general displeasant personality. Then there's others that are dealing with specific issues that are wrestling with hostility because of something that has happened to them. Most of us commonly wrestle with the second type of hostility, which is directed against specific people or specific circumstances. And we are battling all the time not to let roots of bitterness grow in that. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says this, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I, I love, I love the wording of this verse because it reaches us where we're human. The writer is saying, if it is possible, in other words, there are some people, it is impossible. You're not going to live at peace with some people. They're just impossible. Don't point. But our goal is living with at peace with everybody. And Paul is a practical person and realizes there are some people that will make it impossible in your life to live at peace with them. And he says, as far as it is within you, as far as you're capable of with the help of the Lord, live at peace. Don't start arguments. Don't start fights. Don't push each other's buttons. Live at peace with each other. And we may face the possibility that in spite of our best efforts, we still face an enemy. And all the water in the world can't seek a boat unless it gets on the inside of it. And so you have to be careful not to let things get inside your boat. My wife and I have, it's kind of a running joke, and I, I asked her permission if I could use this this morning. Um, because we often say this to each other. Uh, There are times when there are are things that are said, this is going to shock you, I know, that are rather critical toward pastors. Don't understand it. Not everybody agrees with me all the time. And and there are times when as a school teacher, there are parents that completely disagree with her as to a, a, a way that she's taken. And we have learned with each other to say this. We just hold up our hand and say, stop. Don't let it reach your heart. Don't let it reach your heart. Criticism is okay if you attack it in the mind with the help of the Lord. But don't let the water inside the boat. Just don't let it reach your heart. So if I ever say that to you, that's where it comes from. As there, are, The enemy will do everything in his power to frustrate you and anger you. And sometimes as, as husbands or wife, or fathers and mothers, you just have to say, stop, stop, stop. Don't let this reach your heart because the heart is where things get planted. And if the seed never reaches the place where it can plant, it will never grow. And so we have to learn in walking in the peace of the Lord to gain peace. We have to resolve hostility, which means sometimes we just have to say, this is not going to reach my heart. The next thing that we must know is we've got to learn how to successfully handle stress. You're thinking, this ought to be good. There are a few people here that are under stress this morning. Stress is an inability to cope. Don't know what to do or how to handle a lot of things that we don't like illness and depression, breakdown, burnout, all kind of grievous results handle, happen when we don't handle stress well. And when you come under stress, you sometimes think that your stress is more than other people's stress. Nobody else has stress like me. We all have stress. But I want to give you just four principles to help you learn to deal with that stress. And every one of them are biblical. It will help us cope when stress comes into our life so that we can learn to be in peace. The first principle i found that brings peace in the midst of stress is to just step back and realize that God is in control. God is in control. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel like that when your life is out of control. Sometimes you're wondering, where are you, God? I'm in the middle of this storm, and I don't see you here, and I don't know what's happening. One of the things that's always bothered me that I've heard said so many different times is I don't like it when people use the word still. Like, God is still on the throne. He's still on the throne. Like, there's a possibility that He could be removed. Or that He's working hard and He's hanging on to the seat of the throne by just His very fingertips. And, you know, it infers that a lot of attacks that are lodged against Him, that He goes into retreat and says, I'm getting out of this seat for a while. I'm going back where it's peaceful. And that, oh... Hang on, brother and sister. God's still on the throne. My God is not still on the throne. He's on the throne. It's His throne. Nobody's going to take the throne from Him. He's not running away from us when things get difficult. He'll always be on the throne, and there's been no serious threat to dislodge Him, and nor will there ever be, because He's the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords. He knows your name. He knows your situation. And He is on the throne. And sometimes you simply have to come to a point in the middle of a stressful situation where you sit down and let go and say, you're on the throne, I'm your child, you deal with this. I'm going to sleep. Second response to stress is you need to live with dreams and goals. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28, it says, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Let me tell you something. If you are a goalless person, then you will become a depressed person. God created us and built us and designed us that we might plant His goals and dreams within our heart, and that we might pursue them with everything that is within us. The church was never meant to sit around and bless one another. We have a goal and a design that God has created this place for that includes being trained here and going out and fulfilling the goals of God in a world that needs to know He is a Savior and He's a deliverer and He's one that will lift the heads of those who are discouraged. We need to live to the goals of the Word because it brings life into our bones. In fact, the Scripture says that where there is no vision, the people perish. When there's no goals in your life, you're going to die. You're going to have stress overwhelm you. The goal within you, the Lord begins to strengthen you to fulfill it. You want to get rid of stress, then live with dreams and goals and ask the Lord to help you as you pursue them with all of your heart. That way you won't burn out. you are fire up. Dreams and visions and hearing God say to you, this is the way, go for it, will bring life to your soul. It also helps keep Perspective. The third response to stress. Now, this isn't all that spiritual, but it is biblical. Rest and relax. Rest and relax. It is unholy for people to not take a day off. It doesn't make you look better in the eyes of the world to kill yourself. Whether it's ministry, whatever job you're in, The Lord designed us to have times to rest and relax. This just so happens to be my resting and relaxing type of year. It's the season. I get to watch the sun come up as I'm in the woods on my days off. I love being outdoors. The Lord, he and I are going to have a conversation why he gave me an office job. Because I was made for the outdoors. But all of you know that you can get so busy that the stress will overwhelm you. And every one of us needs to learn how to say no to things. That's one of the reasons why when you come into membership here, we ask everybody to not be involved in more than two ministries. Because statistics indicate that 80% of the people in the church just come and 20% are doing most of the work. That's not the way it's supposed to be in a healthy church. We want everybody involved in all the ministries of the church. And if we can't find enough people for the ministries, then maybe the Lord's trying to tell us something about that ministry. Some things may just need to die natural death, and Lord will put those things in your hand because we want to walk where you are and do what you're doing. But it's no good for people to be living in stress because they don't rest and relax. And the fourth response to stress, it's also not very spiritual, but it's good, Keep a sense of humor. Keep a sense of humor. Laugh at yourself first and then laugh at other people. Say, that's not biblical. That's all right. Laugh. Laugh. There's something about laughter that builds us up. God, help us to be not so sober-faced and filled with doom and gloom and walking around in human form, you know. Because, again, that's the kind of people you start to avoid. And the Lord wants us to laugh. We have a lot to laugh about. And we need to enjoy laughter with each other. In fact, there was a commercial. I don't know what company it was or what brand. But it's just people laughing that I saw recently. It starts with little babies laughing. And do you know that you cannot help yourself? I mean, you see people falling on the floor there, just gut laughing. And I see that in... I just start to smile and laugh and gill because there's something about laughter that's infectious. It just begins... Again, I have no idea what it's about. I've never looked at that closely, but I love the laughter. It just does something for us to relieve stress. Proverbs 15:15 15, 15 says this. The cheerful heart has a continual feast. I love how he likens cheerfulness to food. <laughs> Two of my favorite things. A cheerful heart has a continuous feast, so Lord, help us to be people that can have a sense of humor. Fifth, finding peace in times of crisis. Here we go beyond the definition of peace, beyond the aspect of grace and peace, beyond peace and hostility and stress, and begin to look for something that sometimes we need in dire straits of life. There are times when the things of this world can overwhelm us, like when the doctor says to you, You've got cancer. When there's a death, a divorce or a family breakup, a loss of a job, a stunning setback of some kind. How can you have peace in moments like this? I can tell you from the scripture and from personal experience, there's only one way to have peace. And that is for the Lord Jesus Christ to move his peace into your heart. Turn if you would to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter four. I'm going to begin reading by verse thirty five. Many of you know this by heart. Scripture says that day when evening was come, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped and Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And he said, Quiet, be still. Or another version says, Peace, be still. And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are, why are you so afraid that you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? When the disciples on that lake of Galilee in that storm became frightened, the crisis was about to overwhelm them. And there are times in our life when things happen that seems as if all of our peace is about to be robbed. These disciples were scared to death. They thought they were about to die. And they are upset that Jesus would be asleep in their moment of crisis. Any of you ever felt that way? Jesus, how can you sleep through my crisis? Do you not have any idea what's going on in me? And they tried to awake him, and I honestly believe that they wanted to awake Jesus because, remember, they didn't know what he could do yet at this point in time. They were awakening him because they thought they needed his help in bailing out the water. It's true. They wanted him to help as they are working to save their own lives, bailing water out, and Jesus is asleep and they're thinking, this is unfair, Jesus, we need you to help. We're about to drown, don't you care, so that you can begin to bail with us? And, I, and I've thought about that so very many, many times we completely underestimate the value of having God in our life to think that He is going to bail with us when He's got something else completely different in mind. And they initially look at Him, and after they wake up, He After he wakes up, he stands up and he looks at them and he just yells, Peace! Be still! And the waters instantly stop. And I want you to know that when we pray for peace, this is what we're thinking. When I'm saying, Lord, I need peace in my life. I need you just to stand up in the storm of my life and yell at the world, Peace! Be still! And have it just die down so that I can get on with my business. And sometimes he does that. And sometimes he rides in the boat with you to the other side. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding. I want you to think about that. The peace of God, the fruit of the Spirit of God, alive and well within the heart of the believer, goes beyond your ability and anybody else who's watching, their ability to understand how it can be put in place in the difficult times of life. Have any of you ever experienced that peace? Where people simply say, I don't understand how you're holding yourself together. And you're going, I'm not. I'm not holding myself together. I'm in the hands of God. He's holding me. In the situation when the news is bad, He's holding me. In the situation when the storms are about to swamp my life and I don't know if I can take another step, He's holding me. And Paul writes this about, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. And Paul is writing this from a prison cell. He knows what it means to have the peace of God in a circumstance that is unbelievable. And he says, "I just, it's in the hands of God. And I'm being held by Him. And the non-Christian sees the peace of the Christian in the midst of tremendous adversity and does not understand how you can have peace when you're going through that. It doesn't mean, Christians, that we will not have grief. It doesn't mean that we will not have bad moments. It does not mean that we will have a life without bad news. It does not mean that we will be without crisis. It means that we will never be without Jesus in the crisis. And the nearer you are to the Lord, the nearer you are to the peace that He gives your heart. So how does peace come into your life? Peace begins by knowing that what it means in the Bible to have peace. Secondly, it means that grace comes into your life and the Lord comes into your life first and then He brings peace. Third, He calls us to live a life without the hostility, begin to resolve those things. Fourthly, He calls us to look at stress and begin to employ principles to deal with that. And fifthly, He calls us to peace in the midst of the storms. Bow your heads with me, please. Father, we ask that the peace of Christ will rule in our hearts. We realize that all the peace begins at the cross where the blood of Jesus Christ became our peace. There's a separation that alienated us from you that in the blood of Christ and the cross of Christ, we have been reconciled to you. You came to us preaching peace. You said that my peace I leave you and neither as the world gives give I to you, but My peace I leave with you. And, Lord, today we want your peace, not the world's peace. We want the peace that helps us survive in this world. And, Lord, if there are those this morning that don't know you and don't know your peace, I pray today that they would open their hearts to you, that they might come to know you, and then the fruits of your personality would grow in them as well. Father, we also know that there are some that are here today that are being tested. It's been hard. Some of them have been living right now in the sense of crisis and they don't know what to do. They're without answers. But Lord, today we declare to them they are not without hope because you come to bring hope. So, Lord, I ask you to bring your peace to that person who's here today that needs it the most. Bring peace, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you would take your hymn books and turn to page 157. I was singing this course as I was preparing this week. We're going to sing the course of this peace, peace, wonderful peace. Why don't you stand with me? And as we begin to sing this course this morning, I'm going to ask that you would simply open up your hearts and that you would begin to let the peace of the Lord just begin to settle into your heart and life. Whatever the circumstance may be, just let the Lord begin to minister to you as we sing this together.
1: Peace.
0: let sing that again. Time and I want you this morning. If you need the peace of God to come and fill your life, I'm going to ask that you just slip up your hands. Let me tell you what this means. This means I surrender. It's a posture of surrendering. It's a posture of letting go. It's an open hands before the Lord, saying, "Lord, I will not fight against what you want to do in me, because I stand and surrender to you." And so. I'm going to surrender my will, my way, my life, my crisis, whatever it is, I'm going to surrender to you. And close your eyes and let's sing this as a prayer before the Lord, shall we? Peace. we stand before you with our hands raised, we declare to you we need your peace. There is no peace that lasts outside of you. None. And Lord, there are those today that are here that are in crisis. They've been asking you to get up and be water with them. Some have been asking for you to stand and declare peace be still but Lord whether you choose to immediately end the situation or whether you say I am in the boat with you and I'm going to take you to the other side whatever it may be today Lord God I pray that your peace would settle in our hearts Father for those that are stressed boy we Americans are good at trying to think that we can solve everything with work and sometimes Lord we just need to take a step back and recognize it is your throne and you are on it You are on the throne of our life because we've received You. And so, Lord, begin to rule. As it says in the New Testament, Father, that Your peace rules. You become the umpire to everything that goes on in my life in the day. You lead and guide and may the peace of the Spirit dwell in us richly today, O God. And if there are any here today, Lord, that may not know You, I pray that You would begin to soften their hearts. And I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this prayer after me. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you will mean this with all of your heart, He will respond to you. Just repeat after me. Jesus, I need You today. I am lost without You. I'm tired of living life without You. It's been so unfulfilling. So I yield to You today. I surrender to You. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I enter into your grace right now so that I might experience your peace. Write my name down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I declare today, I belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray.